I'm going to read the entire uh, part, the entire chapter. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. And this is Nebuchadnezzar giving his first person account for a while. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me. They might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. And at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. And no secret, secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree, cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it, and the fowls from his branches." Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. <clears throat> let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart, his mind, be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him. Let seven times or years pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers, the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able... For the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour. And his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar, or Daniel, answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. 
a tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached under the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, upon whose branches the fowl of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown, and reachest unto heaven, thy dominion to the end of the earth. Whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven, and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let its portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. They shall, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. They shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times or years shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king stood back and said, Is not this great Babylon? that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee or taken from thee. They shall drive thee from men and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And seven times or years shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding, my mind, returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason, my mind returned unto me. For the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his way is judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase.
Heavenly Father, what a what a wonderful lesson you taught to this uh, formerly pagan king. It is the hope of many of us that he was indeed converted. Certainly, uh, his language sounds to me as though he were, but uh, thou knowest, and uh, that is uh, uh, not of great moment for our purpose today, except that we using him as an object of instruction we point out none of us are, are or are going to be kings or probably uh, great lords of any kind but all of us may have uh, as much pride as a great king or a lord or a rich person and you hate our pride just as much as you hate anybody's And so that is uh, one great lesson that uh, we should be taking from this entire chapter. And bless our God, your people, wherever uh, this day and uh, the time will come around when they begin to meet, either in the morning or evening or both, and uh, glorify your name, Holy Lord Jesus. Raise up ministers everywhere in all the nations of the world whose great purpose is not to so-called build churches, but whose great purpose is to instruct the people in the worship of you, the Lord Jesus Christ. O our God, do Thou uh, work in all the assemblies everywhere. Convert young or old, our God. Convert those who are lost. Put your fear in them, our God, and ultimately call them unto yourself. Thank you for those who are here in this place today. And uh, the regular membership has come uh, because that is their uh, part of their Christian life and worship. And uh, it's a special blessing to have Matt and Vanya and their family here, and I don't uh, remember seeing any other visitors, but uh, do pray that uh, you'll keep them safe in their uh, return journey, and bless the congregation here, as I pray that you'll bless uh, all where the true gospel is being preached, and we pray in the name of the Thou holy name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have uh, gotten started, not got uh, a ways into it, the uh, study in the sovereignty of God in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. I'll read verse 34 with it. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, 
And I praised and honored him that liveth forever and ever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will. The army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? And children, if you have a hard time understanding that question, as uh, be like if your mom or daddy says to you, what do you think you're doing? And they're going to get on to you about something. <clears throat> Nobody can cause God to pause from His purpose, from His course, from uh, anything that He intends to do or is doing. Our first head was the God that Nebuchadnezzar met, the sovereign God or the absolute authority. We look at the source of God's sovereignty from the verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. God does according to his will. And since there is nobody higher than God, then obviously God is the one who is the source of his sovereignty. Nobody can make God the sovereign God. God is God, and therefore he is the sovereign God. There is no other. There cannot even be a pretender to his throne. Uh, It would be uh, laughable. Well, we close out the first head, last Lord's Day, uh, and then it started on the second head, a sketch of the sovereignty of God as seen in the Scripture, and we read three uh, passages, Acts 17, 16 through 33, Romans 9, 1 through 21, which we will be visiting pretty regularly in the sermon, and uh, Thirdly, we uh, uh, urge us to see God's sovereignty and salvation in the New Testament also in Romans 8, 28-39. Today we start off with uh, some addendums to the sovereignty of God. First, exhibitions of God's sovereignty. Exhibitions of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is exhibited in over nations first. We see here in Daniel 4 how God simply took over the mind of the king of what was the most powerful nation in that region of the world at that time. God has just as much control of every mind on earth as He has had took over Nebuchadnezzar. 
You see, they may say, well, I don't feel like God's ruling me. The Christian learns from the Scripture you don't weigh things and make your mind and your feelings the highest things in governing your life. As Christians, we are to be governed by the Word of God. <clears throat> and these things are in the Scripture to teach us here is this king who God so humbled him. And that's what makes me think he might have been converted. I think he probably was because he gives the humbling testimony of a man whose heart God has simply changed to make him believe in God and believe in His great power and authority. <clears throat> well, that's saying God whether we feel like it or not is ruling us and he rules our minds say well how do I know he's ruling my mind because he is God he gives gives you the brain that you have he made it capable of doing what it does And the Scripture gives us instruction, the rich instruction of God for how we are to live who know Him, but it doesn't tell us that we are to live just according to our feelings about God or even all of our thoughts about God. <clears throat> but we are to live according to the truth of God's Word and then we will be walking with God. Walking with God means that we habitually look to God. He is with us at all times. He is with our mind at all times. And He is directing and governing our ways no matter how we feel. You say, well, He sure lets me make a fool of myself sometimes. Well, I come into contact with that about a hundred times a day. <clears throat> I know that. No, God isn't the one that makes me a fool. I make a fool of myself, just as you make a fool of yourself. Right. Do stupid things, say stupid things, just because we're ignorant or because we're mad or, or whatever. You say, well, what's God, God got to do with that? God is ruling in everything that we do and everything that we say. There is nothing that exists that is outside of the government and rule of God. Nothing. And there cannot be anything that exists. God causes things to exist. Now, I'm not going to go and read these, but I'm going to give you a list. If you go this afternoon and read chapters 13 through chapter 30 in the book of Isaiah, you will see plenty to tell you that God rules over nations. The world has formed in past history a league of nations. And now they have formed another uh, group of nations that uh, sign the 
charter saying that they will work together for peace and so forth and so on. God is ruling over all of that. God's purpose is to glorify Himself and whatever the world is doing, God is ruling there. But we see many of these nations here in Isaiah 13 through 30 under the heading Isaiah usually gives of the burdens of Isaiah. Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, Moab, Damascus, Ethiopia, Egypt, Assyria, Duma, Arabia, Tyre and Sidon, Tarshish, Syria, Israel, Judah, Greece, Rome, all the Canaanite nations and the Ammonites and Philistines and so forth. I'm not going to name any more. That's a pretty long list. Wouldn't you say if God is ruling all those nations, it's very likely He's ruling the world. Wouldn't wouldn't you say that? <laughs> yeah, well, whether you say that or not or think it or not, God is ruling the world. Uh, secondly, in exhibitions, He rules inanimate creation. At one time, and all honest scientists know it, the earth was covered with a flood. The highest mountain peaks were covered. I forget uh, how much I have uh, uh, had the figure in feet in my mind, but it's escaped along with a lot of other things. But the whole world was covered in a flood. God's doing. The sun stopped. We're talking about God's ruling inanimate creation. Did the sun stop? Well, if you read the book of Joshua, you will see that it apparently stopped. And then, I'll say it this way, I don't know, I can't capture in my mind uh it being like that, but it appears that in Hezekiah's time, the sun went backwards for a few hours. <clears throat> Say, well, can't do that. Don't, don't talk to me about what God can't do. <laughs> uh, you're not qualified. And I'm not qualified to say what God can't do other than to say God can't sin or God can't make a mistake or something like that because He's God. <clears throat> the sun stopped. The sun went backwards in Hezekiah's time. The earth opened and Datha, Korah, and, and Abiram uh, who were planning on taking over. Uh, the earth simply swallowed them. In Samuel's time, there was a huge earthquake that we're not told anything about except that, that the, looking back, an earthquake is mentioned at some point in either First or Second Samuel. There was a three-year drought in Israel. We're talking about God's ruling His, in, His inanimate creation. There was a seven-year famine in Egypt. 
at the time when uh, Joseph uh, was uh, around. And then the Lord Jesus Christ cursed the fig tree and it died in just a few hours, withered up and died in a few hours. It didn't have any fruit on it and, and he uh, cursed it to have no fruit ever and it died. When they came back by, they, the disciples saw that it was dead. He rules the wind and the waves. Christ was asleep in the little ship that the disciples were in. And uh, the waves got so high and the wind so loud, they thought they were going to sink. And so they came and awakened him. And he spoke to the wind, and the wind stopped. And he spoke to the waves, and the waves laid. Evidently, it, it happened very quickly from uh, the, the way it is stated, the context in which it is uh, stated. Thirdly, brute creation. God is over the brute creation. In Joshua 24, 12, we see that God put uh, a major enemy of Israel to flight with hornets. That would have took a lot of hornets, but God can make as many hornets as He wants or needs to put an army to flight. So I don't believe hornets could put an army to flight. We don't have many hornets even around in this area. I've lived in northeastern Oklahoma most of my life, and uh, I've not seen a whole lot of hornets' nest even. But I know that uh, they can make your horse go to bucking if they... One happens to start stinging him, and I know that they are bigger and fiercer and have more of a sting than the, even a red wasp, which is a pretty, uh, pretty easy for a nest of red wasps to, to put break up a picnic if they was all going after them, <laughs> the people in the picnic. Balaam's talking donkey. Well, a donkey can't talk. If God wants it to, it can. The lion that killed the old prophet. But he didn't kill his donkey. And the younger prophet's sons went to see, catch the old uh, prophet and bring him back to the house to stay with him for a while. And uh, when they found him, the old prophet was... Dead, the lion had killed him, and the lion was just laying around there, and there was a live donkey, and he hadn't eaten the prophet, and he hadn't killed the donkey. God rules animals' minds also. Again, the lions and Daniel. Now, there's good evidence that the lions were actually very fierce. And they were very hungry because the people that got Daniel put in the lion's den ultimately visited there uh, later on after Daniel was brought out. And as, before they could hit the ground, the lions were attacking them and on them and slaughtering them and, and starting to tear chunks of flesh out of them. In other words, 
There was no reason. It's absolutely unreasonable to think like these lions wouldn't have killed Daniel because they would have. Except God has rule over the minds of animals also. <clears throat> the great fish that God prepared to swallow Jonah. The fish that the Lord Jesus told Peter, the first fish you catch, open its mouth. And he opened its mouth and there was a coin or coins in there. I'm supposing it was just a major gold coin with which to pay the taxes for both the Lord Jesus and Peter. A fish swimming around in the water in the Sea of Galilee. And Peter threw a line out there and caught that fish. It wasn't an accident. Christ was directing that fish. Christ had caused the fish to pick up the coin. He'd caused somebody to lose a coin. And He caused that fish to pick it up. And He caused Peter to catch that fish. You say, well, how do you know that? It had to have happened that way. Christ is God as well as man. And so is God. Either He or His Father or the Holy Spirit caused the fish to pick up the coin, caused him to take the bait that uh, was on Peter's rig and they caught that, that and got the money out. Animals coming into the ark. When you read over that, it doesn't make anything of it. Adam and Eve weren't driving them. They came to the ark. Something was driving them. God was driving them. He had perfect control of everything, of everything that He wants to control. Again, in our brute creation category, We read of the lions and Daniel. I mean, uh, uh, the lions and Daniel's friends. But that was another case. The three, three uh, friends of Daniel who were brought to Babylon when uh, Nebuchadnezzar's forces ransacked Israel and brought some of the young people uh, who were people of skill and trained them for a good while and uh, ultimately three of them ended up in the lion's lairs and the lions didn't bother them. Nebuchadnezzar saw it happen. He was aghast that there were four people walking around in that lion's cage. Without being attacked. Another time there were two cows, and this is 
something that uh, some of us are familiar with. Take uh, nursing calves away from the cow and then try to take the cows away from the calves and the calves were left behind but nobody was driving the wagon the Philistines had captured the ark and they put it on a cart tied the uh, animals to the cart and the, the, they walked right down the road to this next town in Israel where the uh, ark was recovered again. Israel leaving Egypt. The dogs didn't even bark. At one time, there was a, such darkness that you could feel it. In part of Egypt, but there was light in the tents and so forth of the Israelites who were there, though they were still slaves in Egypt. The quails coming, I don't know, it sounds like they had to be around two feet deep from what you read. God had somehow probably for a year or so, been giving major quail crops. And now, at the time they were needed, they were brought into Israel, falling on the ground, raining quails everywhere, so that they had food for a good while from those. And again, the Red Sea opening for Israel and closing on Pharaoh's army. <clears throat> this is our God. Now, if you're a believer, you can believe that these things all happened. If you're not a believer, it may be you can't believe any of them happened. I didn't know what to believe when I was a boy, what little I read of the Bible. I naturally heard people talk about these Bible stories and so forth. And uh, not knowing anything, I didn't know what the Bible was, just a, a book, a story book that had uh, survived down through the centuries. I had about as much sense as a dog about God <clears throat> at that time. The Red Sea opened for Israel, closed on Pharaoh's army. And we see God's sovereignty here with Nebuchadnezzar. We see it with Cyrus the Mede, Isaiah 44, 28. Cyrus the Mede. breaking into a long, long, long sentence, but that saith to Cyrus, He is my shepherd. Even though he's uh, a Babylonian, a Mede, he's going to be over Israel. He's the Lord and ruler over them. 
But God says of, of him, He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. Another pagan king. And at this time, Cyrus wasn't even born yet. Cyrus was named by God. Amen. And it was about a, may have been a hundred years or more before, after this, before Cyrus was born. <clears throat> and he put him ruling over Israel. Shall perform my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built. Jerusalem was sacked. Destroyed. The temple was burnt by the time Cyrus came on the scene. And he, but he's going to raise up this man, create this man named Cyrus. And he's going to be a lord over the nations, the Medes and Persians. And then he's going to cause Israel to be able to go back home. Everyone that wanted to could go back home. And about three or four, maybe five of those pagan kings are in the Scripture after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And God ruled over every one of them, causing them to do His will and taking care of His people under their domain and in their countries. And then He caused... Caused them to let the people go back. Even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Well, that's as much time as I can take on that, but I do want to uh, look at Ezra again because there's a little more about Cyrus there in Ezra chapter 1. Verses uh, 1 through 3. And the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, these kings were wont to exaggerate. And he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. He is the God. What a blessed thing it is to let your mind go through these things, through these kings that God ruled over, these pagan kings who had captured the Israelites and brought tens of thousands of them over into their pagan countries. But there, they didn't, apparently they didn't mistreat them very badly. Probably just uh, insisted that they obey the law of the land because they were still there and when they were turned loose whole lots of them didn't even go back but they stayed there in the pagan lands where they had been brought to 
You think of the dozen or so plagues on Pharaoh's Egypt. And again, the Red Sea opening for Israel and closing on Pharaoh's army. And finally, God's sovereignty over individuals. Nebuchadnezzar, he ruled over him. Cyrus, we just read that. And Pharaoh and Moses. Pharaoh ultimately was destroyed, him and his army. When Israel had crossed through the Red Sea, then in Isaiah uh, 10, I won't take time to read it, but verse chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, you get another uh, picture of God overruling Assyria. And then think of in the New Testament time, I put stuck Judas in here. Judas was under God's authority. God could have converted Judas just like he converted the ones that he did convert. God could have converted Judas just like he converted all of us who are believers or any other believer. He was raised up just as God raised up Pharaoh to show his might. We read that you read that in Romans 9 to show his power and get glory over the mightiest monarch of Egypt and of that part of the world at that time. So he did with Cyrus, and so he did with Nebuchadnezzar's son and Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. I think there were three or four of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, people who ultimately became kings. But God's people were under their authority. And God was taking care of His people even in those situations. It ought to be easy for us, seeing that we're all free-born citizens, never known anything about uh, that kind of authority, just the regular authority of uh, a government that uh, ultimately let people start slaughtering their children in their hatred of God and hatred of life. But they're not coming around and uh, sending uh, armed people to shoot the people in the churches. Not yet, anyway. It may happen sometime. It won't happen anytime very soon. It may ultimately happen unless there is a great and glorious national revival. <coughs> Judas, God appointed him for the destruction of hell as the traitor against the Lord Jesus. There's a certain place in Ezekiel 24.2 where God, it reveals that God sets Nebuchadnezzar's heart against Jerusalem. He's not thinking about it. He wasn't even planning on going that way, the best I, I can understand from that. He had in mind to capture a bunch of nations, but he was not thinking about Israel. God put Jerusalem on his mind to go and attack Jerusalem and bring a bunch of his people back with him well Ahab Jezebel God destroyed them 
significantly. Saul and his sons, God destroyed them. Paul's conversion, the many miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as God was absolutely sovereign over these biblical personages and nations, so He is sovereign over every person that is here. Every little child, every old codger like me, and everyone in between that. God is sovereign over us. And what do I recommend that we do? Well, still got a whole lot of sermon left to go. We'll get to some of that. But you're intelligent enough to know the thing to do with a sovereign who is almighty. You can't fight him. You can't outsmart him. You can't cause him to forget you. You can't hide from him. The thing to do is find out what he says to do and be doing it. Put him first at the top of your list for worship. Worship the Almighty God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Bow to his demands. Bow to his commands. The happiest children... The world will never tell you this because it doesn't know it. The world as a world has not learned anything about loving God or knowing God in the 6,000 years that it's been here. And it's not still ever going to. It doesn't intend to. But God will save a people out of the world. And you who are Christians, if you are really Christians and walking with the Lord, you know that that's the happiest life you can have. The Apostle Paul was a major apostle even after he was in prison. Many Christians have been in prison Many have been converted while they were in prison. And though they were not happy with their circumstances, they were happy with their God. We rejoice in God. We rejoice in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who is our Savior, our God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Sam, would you come and conduct the Lord's Supper? Apologize for not calling you to the morning, Sam.